0: Our reading this afternoon is from Luke 6, 46 to 49. This is what Holy Scripture says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose... The, steam, uh, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it, because it had been built well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the wisdom of God given to us. Thanks be to God. One night uh, during a family dinner, the uh, family was doing a devotional, and the devotional uh, had to do with the Ten Commandments. And the father asked the kids, how many commandments did God give to Moses? And the five-year-old son quickly replied, too many. (laughs) And if you're like me, sometimes I think we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes the Christian life can feel like it's just a bunch of rules and there's too many of them. And when we feel this way, I think what often happens is we lose perspective on what the rules are for and why God has given them to us. We need to be reminded that the Christian life isn't about following the rules, Recently, I heard a conversation between two university professors and they were kind of bemoaning the current state of students in their classes. Uh, The one teacher was talking about how it seems like all of her students these days only want to know what's needed for the test. Just tell me what I need to do to get the good grade. And of course, she is, is so frustrated by this because for her, teaching isn't about ...the student regurgitating a bunch of information. It isn't about the grade. It's about transformation. It's about learning. And the Christian life is the same. It's not about the rules. It's not about getting the grade. It's about the relationship. It's about being in love with a person... ...that you want more than anything else to please... And yet, even though it isn't about obeying the rules, the rules are important. That's what Jesus is showing us here. The rules are in place for our good. And that's the argument we see here at the end of what is called the Sermon on the Plain. Here in Luke 6, we've been going slowly through it. And here, Jesus uses this illustration of building a house. And this is Jesus' way of showing us that following him and obeying him is the best decision you can make. Now, if, as we look at this illustration, if we jump into verse 48 here, let me just read it again so we can uh, remind ourselves of what Jesus is saying here. Um, right before the illustration, if you recall, Jesus has just said that the person who comes to me hears my words and does them, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Now Jesus wants you to imagine the house in this illustration is your life. It's your life. And you're building a life. Every day, you're making choices in building this house. And because you're building something, you have to choose a blueprint to follow. All of us have a blueprint. All of us have rules, so to speak, that we follow in building this house. And what Jesus is offering us is a blueprint on how to build your life that will last. And the choice is yours to make. You'll either build your life on the foundation of Jesus and his teachings and his wisdom that he's offering you. Or you're going to build your life on something else that will fail you. That will eventually lead to your disappointment or possibly your destruction. And so there's a little bit of a warning here in what Jesus shows us. Because in verse 49... Look at the other alternative here. It's the one who hears and does not do what Jesus has told them. That is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Now, for those of you who haven't seen a house with a terrible foundation, I have a couple slides here, I think about three slides They'll give you an idea of the image Jesus uh, gives us here of a house with a bad foundation and what happens to that house. Now, I want you to think about your life and how your life can look like that, right? Many of us in this room could say, yeah, my life feels like that. <laughs> That's a good image. That's how it feels. Now, who is this person who is built a house like that that looks like that. Well, Jesus says it's the person who has ignored his blueprint. Or should we put it this way? It's the person who's maybe looked at the blueprint but has chosen not to use it. Because Jesus has this blueprint for us for building a life that will last. Now, the concept's very similar to a blueprint you might follow. For actually building a house. Now, I have a slide that shows you a blueprint or what a blueprint might look like if you were to build a house. Now, some of you are in construction. You've worked off a blueprint. Others of you, this might be the first time you've ever seen a blueprint. Uh, this is the idea that you look at this blueprint and it, it gives you guidance on how to build that house that will last. And Jesus gives some principles here in this passage, some Some principles of this blueprint for you to follow. And and we're just going to look at verse 47 and find those three principles. The first principle, for the person who builds a house, a life that will last, is the person who comes to Jesus. That's the first step. The second principle is they hear Jesus' words. And the third one is simply they do what he says. So let's look at this blueprint. Jesus begins it with coming to him. Now there's many reasons why we might come to Jesus. Uh, we might be curious. We live in a very curious age spiritually. People like to think and talk about spiritual things. People like the buffet that is the spiritual landscape and you know, dabble in different things. And so curiosity might lead someone to come to Jesus to try him out. A uh, boredom might be another reason someone might come to Jesus. They don't have anything else to do. Maybe, uh, you know, they're searching online. They read a couple of Christian uh, articles. Maybe they'll watch a sermon online. They'll check it out, come to church every once in a while, whatever it might be. But I think the thing that we, we notice when we read the Gospels is it's the person who comes to Jesus out of desperation that is often the one That Jesus is really looking for and connecting with. It's that desperation. If you read the Gospels, you see the crowds that form around Jesus. Those people want Jesus' healing so often. You see the crowds pleading for Jesus to heal them. You see, it's those people whose lives are broken, are hurting. Uh, It's those people who come to Jesus wanting him to heal them. And so often Jesus connects with those people. And it's when life gets overwhelming. and, And I love the definition of prayer that's often given by some. That prayer is simply bringing your helplessness to God. That's all prayer is. And helplessness and desperation is what fuels coming to christ in the first place now what's so interesting about the illustration that jesus gives us is that if you take a house that's built on a good foundation on the rock and a house that's built on no foundation from the outside before any storm or flood hits it they look they both look the same you really can't tell the difference the only way to know the difference between the two is when the flood hits Uh, The flood slammed against both houses. Did you notice that in Jesus' illustration? Both houses got hit. But it was the house without the strong foundation that fell apart. Now, earlier in chapter 6, Jesus warned his disciples to expect trials, tribulation, persecution. And that's a very important point, I think, all of us who are in this room and claim to be followers of Christ. We need to see that both houses endure the storm. Now, to sit here today and to witness my sons give their public testimony was very humbling. It was hard to hold it together, if I'm honest with you. Um, I love you, Carter and Teddy. You got up here and you publicly told your church family you've chosen to follow Christ. That is something your mom and I have prayed for. And I know your grandparents have prayed for. But let me tell you, You've made a decision to follow Jesus. And I want to make sure you know that does not mean that your life will be easy. In fact, I almost guarantee it means in many ways your life will be harder. You see, to be a follower of Christ means the storms will come. And sometimes out of our desperation, we come to Jesus expecting him to remove us from the storm. Now, if that's what Jesus was promising us, the illustration would have been very different. The illustration would have gone something like this. The person who comes to me and hears my words and does them will be like the person who built their house on a hill and the floods came and the house wasn't touched and the people in the house were very comfortable and safe. But, of course, that's not the illustration because that's not what happens. Both houses are slammed by the water. I like how Frederick Bruner puts it. He says, Jesus says the same storms hit thoughtful disciples as hit thoughtless ones. Obedience to Jesus' words is not so much protection from troubles as protection in them. Just as rock under a house does not shield from storms, but supports during them. And so we see, this is a very compelling reason to obey Jesus... It's not because it will shield us from the storms of life, but because it will support us during the storms of life. That's what Jesus wants us to see. You see, he has the words of life. That's what you see time and time again in the Gospels. And it's, it's pictured wonderfully in John 6, where uh, a lot of people turn their backs on Jesus and decide to leave. And Jesus looks at his closest disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter, we're told there, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see the desperation there for Peter. He says, where else am I going to go? Because anywhere else, it, it, it's hopeless. And you know, for me, sometimes that's the most compelling reason that I'm a Christian. It's because I look at the other options, and I think, my goodness, that's hopeless. It's hopeless. Jesus is the only one who has words of life. Jesus is the only one that offers me hope. Jesus is the only one that gives me reason and purpose and meaning for my life. I must come to him. And that's what we see is Jesus' call. And so the second step, the first step is to come to him. The second step, a blueprint for building a life that will last is to hear his words. To hear his words. Now, we can come to Jesus and not hear him. And every parent in this room has experienced that with your kids. (laughs) Your kids come to you and they don't hear you, do they? They don't hear you. But do we hear Jesus? Do we hear his words? What is it he's telling us? Now, it's, it's difficult, is it not? I mean, we don't see Jesus. We weren't there. We can't touch him. We can't physically hear Him, so so what are we to do? Well, that is why our view of Scripture is so important. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And and we think of Paul's words in Colossians 3.16 where he says there, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's why you hear pastors drone on and on about reading your Bible, meditating on your Bible, Spending time marinating in the word of God. Because in that process, you're allowing the words of Christ himself to settle on your heart and in your mind and bring transformation. And so when Jesus says to hear me, for us today, we have to go to scripture. We have to be compelled to read his word We have to be driven to say, okay, what does the Bible say? What am I called to do? What is Jesus saying to me today? And we live in an age, don't we, where we're inundated with voices. We're inundated with information. There's so many voices speaking to us. Who are we to listen to? Which one is right? Which one is wrong? It's so hard to decide. And sometimes it's so overwhelming, you lose your way, and you don't hear Christ because you can't hear him over the, the noise and the distraction. And that's why, for you to spend time each day, carve out time of uh, some time of silence, of meditation, of of, of meditating on God's word. Do you do that? You know, I um, I usually give Boomer our dog about a two mile walk in the morning, and and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And my, uh, I had these Bluetooth headphones. And, and I was uh, walking him. And I just started the walk and they di- the battery died on him. And I was so anxious. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? I don't have anything to listen to. And I was freaking out internally. you know? I'm like, I'm not going to just sit here and walk and not have anything going on in my head, not hearing any voices. What? And it just hit me. I was like yeah, you idiot, Uh, why don't you try praying? (laughs) Why don't you try just being in silence? Why don't you try just listening? And that was one of the more spiritually fruitful moments in my week. Of course, I have to admit, I went back to listening to the podcast once I got those headphones charged. But... I think that's a practice I need to implement in my life regularly, and I think it's a practice all of us need to implement, is when do you spend time listening? When do you allow yourself to hear what Jesus has to say? Now, of course, what Jesus has to say to you involves all of Scripture, all of God's Word, but that's too much to cover right now, so why don't we just focus Here in Luke 6, where where we have been for the past few weeks in this sermon on the plain that Jesus has been teaching us, let's review what are the words that Jesus wants us to hear. Well, if you recall, at the beginning of the sermon, what did Jesus say in verses 20 and following? Well, he gave these blessings and woes. Do you remember? Jesus reminded his followers of the danger of wealth and riches. And why is wealth and riches dangerous? Because it cultivates within us this tendency uh, towards a spirit of independence, of self-sufficiency, where we do not believe we need God. Not really. And so Jesus is warning us, hey, be careful. Not you can't be rich or you can't have money, but be careful because you're in a very precarious situation. If you are wealthy, the dangers and traps are more tempting for you than those who are not. And so we need to hear his words. Jesus is telling us to stay grounded in our total dependency on him, on God. Make God your number one priority, not your money. He also says to be generous there. He says, Be generous, be charitable, be ready to give to others. Then in verse 27 and following, Jesus tells his followers to love their enemies. If you were with us, David preached on that passage where Jesus told us to love and serve and pray for those who are persecuting us. And there, again, he told us to be generous, to give to those who ask of us to hold loosely to our possessions. Then in verses 37 and following, Jesus taught the crowd not to judge others unfairly. He warned against self-righteousness. He encouraged us to be self-aware of our own sin and our own judgmental tendencies so that we could be a healing presence in other people's lives. Now, something I've noticed as a pastor over the years... That when I talk to Christians who hear Jesus' question, why do you profess and say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Um, a, lo- a lot of Christians feel guilty. And a lot of Christians feel shame about that. Because they see the contradiction within their lives. Now what's interesting when I ask them, well, what is it that you feel guilty about? And what is it you feel shame about? Almost without fail, the first things that will come to mind is, well, I don't read my Bible, and I don't pray, and I'm not very consistent going to church, and maybe I haven't been going to a community group, and maybe I didn't serve with the Love Your Neighbor team in the last event they held, and, and, you know, and it tends to follow this script But, friends, none of those things are the things Jesus talks about in the Gospels. Not really. I've never, in 14 years of ministry, had anyone come to me and say, you know, I'm feeling really guilty and a lot of shame about being judgmental. Or I'm feeling really guilty and and a lot of shame about how greedy I am. Or I'm feeling really guilty uh, because, you know, I can't seem... Uh, to let go of these hurts and pains in the past and, and forgive people. Or I'm feeling really, you know, it just goes on and on. Never do people come to me and confess guilt and shame over those things. And those are the things that Jesus talked about. For some reason, we've adopted the Christian culture expectations and we've placed those things at the forefront of our thinking. And I would challenge us to say maybe we aren't hearing Jesus. Maybe we're just hearing the Christian culture that's telling us the things that are supposed to be so important. Those things that we feel guilty about, not reading the Bible, not praying, not going to church. Those things are there to get you to do the things Jesus taught us to do. That's what they're for. They aren't the goal. You see that? They're not the goal. So in other words, you can be a person who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, and you can read your Bible, and you can have your quiet time, and you can faithfully attend church, and you can be involved in all the programs and activities and ministries and not do what Jesus tells you. Do you see that? So step one was come to Jesus. Step two was hear his words. And here's the third step, the final step of Jesus' blueprint is to do them. Do what Jesus tells us to do. Now, notice what's involved in building this house that will last. We're told that the man was building a house, and he dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Now, digging deep takes time and money, doesn't it? And patience. Building a house the right way is expensive. It costs. And that's why some builders cut corners. They don't follow the rules. They aren't willing to pay the cost. They aren't willing to spend the money or the time required. And the same is true of following Christ. It involves a decision. Are you willing to count the cost? We, uh, we can skip ahead to Luke 14 there. Jesus is kind of talking about a similar thing. He's talking about the cost of being a disciple. And he says this, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Jesus is effectively saying, Listen, before you choose to follow me, make sure you understand what it involves and you're willing to fall through. You're willing to do what it takes Now, in the long run, you're going to be glad you did. In the short term, it's going to be hard, and you might regret it. It's going to be difficult. But you know what? If you do it, you're going to have a life that will last, that will endure, that will be able to sustain the storms and the floods that hit you. And that's why I think Jesus here asks that question that's so haunting for many of us. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? Jesus isn't expecting them to answer him. That's a rhetorical question. He's using it to make a dramatic point. He's saying, you say I'm your Lord and you do not do the things I'm telling you to do. And maybe the answer is because it costs too much to obey. It costs so much. To obey, And Jesus is simply pointing out the hypocrisy that's plagued the church for centuries. Hypocrisy is, is simply saying you believe one thing and yet doing something else. And Jesus is confronting us with this question, if you call me Lord, why don't you obey me? If you call me Lord, why aren't you following in my footsteps? If you call me Lord, why aren't you following this blueprint I have for you? You see, to call someone Lord is a foreign concept to us today as Americans. I think we pride ourselves in the fact that we have no emperor, we have no king. We have no Lord that reigns and rules over us. I mean, we as Americans have a government that believes the power resides with the people as we elect those who rule over us. And that runs counter to this idea in Jesus' culture that You have someone you are accountable to. You have someone who has authority over you. His name is Caesar. He is emperor. And you must bow down and worship him or at least show your allegiance to him. And Jesus uses this phrase, Lord, Lord, emphasizing with double emphasis how easy it is for us to say something and yet do something else. It's easy for us to profess, and yet our words don't align with our actions. And Christians can be pretty convincing with their words. I mean, we can show a lot of conviction in what we say, and you can be really convinced that I'm passionate and mean what I say, and yet, behind closed doors, I might be doing something else, living Another way, it doesn't mean our words aren't important. Obviously, we you know, we tend to think of Romans chapter 10, Paul's words there. What does Paul say? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, our words matter. Our words ultimately hopefully reflect our hearts. But that's not always the case, and that's what Jesus is pointing out here. And all of us need to hear that. In Jesus' day, there was a common motto heard in the streets: "Caesar is Lord." And to acknowledge Jesus as Lord was a big deal because it was a threat to the Roman Empire. And if you pledged allegiance to Jesus, you might be killed for it. To proclaim Jesus as Lord could get you in a lot of trouble. And around uh, towards the end of the first century, there's a Roman emperor. I have a picture of his statue. Phoenician, uh, he built these statues and placed them throughout the empire. And on feast days, he would require people to pass by these statues and bow down. Because he was really concerned about this Christian movement that was taking place. And he wanted to make sure people still held allegiance to him. Because Christians were saying no to Caesar and yes to Christ. They were willing to say with their mouth, Lord, Lord, and with their actions, and even die for it. What about you? Domitian threatened Christians with whips. And friends, here's the gospel truth. The thing that compels us to follow Christ and to do what he says is to know his love for us. It's to know That Jesus is the one who took the whip for us. That that Domitian maybe threatened Christians to bow down and die, but it's Christ who bowed down and died for us. You see, as Christians, we don't obey because we're afraid of Jesus, that he threatens us, that his authority is is our concern. No, it's his love that melts us. It's his love that compels us. It's what he's done for us and how he's served us. That motivates us to obey, to follow Him. You know, to obey Jesus is to see that He is the one who took the judgment on Himself for us and each of us must sit with that and each of us must ask, what does my Lord and Savior call me to do today? And I ask you, if you, If you haven't asked that question, if you don't ask that question on a daily basis, I encourage you to start. Ask Jesus, what do you call me to do today? And to integrate into that, into your daily rhythm. Because he expects you to listen and he expects you to follow him. I'll end with this story from Ann Graham Lott's um, she tells a story that when uh, she and her husband, Denny, go to football games, they, they attend football games at uh, her husband's alma mater, which is the University of North Carolina, thousands of people go to these games, and, and people cram into the parking lots, and Anne often can't see where she's going because she's shorter, and, and there's all these people around. Well, her husband is like six seven, so he's pretty tall. And uh, and so he can look over the crowd, and he takes his wife's hand, and he just leads her to their seats. And Anne describes uh, the experience this way: she says, "The way I get from the car to my seat is just by holding his hand and following him closely through the crowd." And then she goes on to say this: she says. In the same way, I just try to faithfully follow the Lord step by step and day by day. Ten years from now, I just want to look back and know that the best of my ability, I've been obedient to God's call in my life. And friends, I want that for you. I want that for you. I want that for Carter and Teddy. I want that for me. That each of us would come to Jesus, hear his words, and do what he says To grab his hand and to follow and know he's going to lead us where we need to be. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for this passage that challenges us. I pray that each one of us would take the time needed to contemplate, to consider. Jesus, the things that you have called us to do. And to be able to admit and confess the ways that we refuse to do it. Lord, each and every one of us here. And what I love, Jesus, is that part of what you call us to do is to come to you in our weakness, to come to you in our brokenness, to repent and put our faith in you and to find that you embrace us, that you love us, That you celebrate those moments when we're willing to admit who we are. To admit that it's hard. And Lord, even in the supper that we're about to celebrate in a few minutes, we we see you calling us to feast, to celebrate with you. Your goodness and your faithfulness to us. May that compel us. Lord, may that transform us. May that change us. So that obedience flows out of a heart that loves you. Not a heart that fears you. Not a heart that has to worry about your disappointment in us. But hearts that have been freed. Because we know we are loved. We know you are, we are your brothers and sisters. We celebrate that today. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.